0: For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are of Build-A-Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we brought on the podcast are also Build-A-Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction and Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end training and understanding and workshops you know to help us use our software effectively they also have the podcast the building code to learn more head to buildertrend.com/aft to get a 60 day money back guarantee on your buildertrend account
1: hey what we did yesterday we can do better tomorrow wanting to deliver something that hasn't been delivered before in the market wanting to provide a better experience
0: for our clients So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast and we're excited. Today we have Nathan Marsal on with us. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks. Good to be here. Excited to have you. So Nathan's president and founder of Bison Group and uh, we've known each other for about a year now. In fact, you were just in town here in Phoenix. Uh, Came down to the Net Zero Grand Opening and so we had a little bit of time to take you around a couple of projects and and revisit.
1: Yeah, definitely. They were great
0: projects. It was uh,
1: really fun to be there and to see the things that you guys are doing over at AFT.
0: Well, likewise, and I'm excited to get in this conversation, Nathan, because, I mean, you're just doing some amazing things. I know that some of my staff recognize you right away because they're like, we've seen Nathan's videos on Instagram. <laughs> He's been spending a lot of time on, on Instagram and just building the, you know, the portfolio you have. So let me ask you this. How can builders stop allowing ourselves to be viewed as a commodity?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think the number one thing we need to stop doing is, and it sounds probably with a lot of pushback coming our way, stop giving free bids. And that's uh, for whatever reason, there are a lot of memes. There's a lot of things I even see on social. I saw some stuff last night on how to hack your contractor and you know, how to get the best price out of them and really talk them down. And it's interesting that for whatever reason, whether it's the real estate agents or the flippers or homeowners, they just feel like we are a commodity and that all builders are created equal. And the only difference is the price. And that's, absolutely not true there couldn't be a bigger myth in the market that three bids tell you what the actual market place and value should be so the big thing for us is explaining to our clients what that value is why builder a is different than builder b why the bison group is going to do something different than someone else that they might be talking to and the importance of pre-construction services and bringing your builder in early and often and finding the right fit for your project because. We're not created equal and the customer service experience is different. The systems that we use are different. The trades, we might both have framers, but you know, one's going to frame to a different level of craftsmanship and quality than another. And
0: I, go ahead. No, it's interesting if I interrupt you there, Nathan, because I, I was making some notes and I want to come back to the free bids and um, bringing your your building. I think there's a lot of content there we can discuss, but you brought something up that triggered, especially early in my career. And you talked about, you know, flippers and investors, And it's a little bit of a sensitive subject. And the reason I say that is because, um, in my experience, and this isn't for all. So if we have any flippers or investors listening, (laughs) uh, but, but in my experience, predominantly, there's no doubt that that clientele views builders as a commodity, right? They essentially, um, I'm trying to think how to say this in in a way that's not offensive, but, but essentially you're not really a partner in the project. I mean, they're going to demand a lot from you, um, they're they're going to drive you, and what's really tough is it's all about numbers, right? It's you yep. know, quality, brand, reputation. None of that typically plays a role, and and I say typically because for for the meat of this, I mean, you may have some really high end projects at a high level that that they're looking to have a builder because of the name, and they're going to build to a different clientele. But the majority of investors, flippers, that's not the case, and it, it can be really tough. And I've I've had some. You know, fortunately, seen some red flags in the past, especially early on when you're trying to get business and some investors reach out and some of their terms were just insane, right? That they demanded. I'm like, if you want me to build at this time frame and this cost, why don't I just do it myself and then I make the upside? You know what I mean? Yep. No,
1: absolutely. And that's that's a big part of it. And I mean, even, even some of the DIY type of uh things have really made it seem like building is a very simple, easy, uncomplicated task that anybody can do. It's been popular on TV shows, it's been popular uh, on the the social of look at my DIY project. And there's nothing wrong with DIY. I think it's different depending on the complexity and the project you get into. We both work in uh, commercial and custom residential spaces and there's nothing simple or uncomplex about all of those. And every project's different, everything's always changing. So for us, the big thing that we're trying to do either with social media, um with talking with our architects with our design teams that we like to work with is educating them as well as our client base on here's why a builder is important and valuable and why we are not a commodity and that we're not all created equal there are a lot of great quality builders out there and there's a lot that just they're a means to an end for other people and that's fine that's what they want to build their business model on and but that's not our market and that's not what we work towards. So we want to explain to clients why a builder is important, why they're valuable, and why they should be basing their decisions on something other than just what the bottom line cost is.
0: Well, it's interesting because it's one thing, you know, for you and I builder, and we can say, you know, there's nothing more expensive than a cheap bid. And we understand really the difficulty and challenges of our job and career and what we manage. The other thing is education. You mentioned this, we have to educate the client. They have to understand I know that specifically on your channel, um, on your social media, you've been really big just explaining something as simple as bid and estimate, right? That clients don't understand. So walk through kind of the purpose of that. I'm sure maybe there's some history there, but I know this is a topic that many clients may not fully understand as well.
1: Yeah, I know. Absolutely. There's a lot of terminology that gets thrown around and people hear the words and they think they know and understand the words, but they really do mean various different things. And it's important for us as a builder to make sure we at least clarify with our client what the terms mean and what their understanding is. And so that's the whole purpose of our whiteboard Wednesdays that we've been kind of throwing out there on our Instagram. And, you know, the bid versus the estimate. One is a much harder number. It's firm. It's concrete. We know all the details. And, you know, the bid is it's $100. It's not 99. It's not 101. It's $100. That's what the bid says. An estimate, you got to look at that more as a budget. It's going to be. We think, and we hope pretty darn close to hundred, but it could be 101, 102, and it could be 98 and it could be 97. But on the, on the budget side, you know, the overage kind of like on a cost plus model goes more toward the client and this savings goes towards the client as well. And a straight up bid when you know all the details and it's a hard firm number bid, bid, there's a, there's a risk that both parties take, right? The contract is I'm going to do it for hundred bucks, no matter what, even if it cost them 120. But if it cost them 70 that client just paid an extra 30. and you know helping clients understand the difference between a bid a budget you know that estimate and what that means when they're looking at a proposal is night and day because some guys will put that out there and say it was a budget or it was an estimate and they never explain the difference between their client between a bid and an estimate and then the client feels like they got burned and then our whole industry gets a bad rap because you know somebody didn't want to take the time to explain a definition.
0: So with that definition, I mean, especially as you broke that down, Nathan, uh, which I feel is really clear, you know, how do you differentiate that? Or, or or maybe I say it this way, at what stage of the process are you committing this with your clients, whether commercial residential to fully understand, you know, the difference of estimate and budget, when they're going to be given either, you know, and how that plays into the overall success and costing of the job.
1: Day one. Yeah, we, we have a, meeting tomorrow afternoon with a potential new client right design team asked if we'd be interested in it we said sure we'll come take a look but they asked for a bid and we said that's not how we operate you know number one these are the minimum requirements of our project you have to have a design team you have to have drawings and documents and we have to meet you we have to walk with you we have to explain our process we explained it to them in writing and we need to get a feel for the project make sure it's a good fit all the way around personalities and discuss budgets first and that then we can go into pre-construction and talk about pre-construction agreements and how that works. So we'll spend some time with a future client right up front, but we explain everything to them. Uh, Typically, we just ran out of our little booklets, but we have a spiral bound booklet that we've had printed up that we give to every client. It talks about our system and our process uh, all the way down to, these are the hours of communication that are acceptable to us. I mean, you're going to text me at nine o'clock on a Friday night happens all the time with just about every client. It's unavoidable. Please don't expect a response till Monday morning, unless, you know, there's a broken pipe and the water's coming in. Like we have a life too. Um, but like all of that and the process and the steps of where your budgets, you know, we're going to give you a minimum of three line item, full breakdown budgets during the course of pre-construction. We're going to give you your conceptual upfront ROM it's broken down by light item. Then we're going to get to a preliminary budget and then we're going to get to the project budget. And those evolve as the drawings and the details evolve. And that's all explained. There's samples of all of these for our clients day one. And that's something that, you know, why we can't be viewed as a commodity because that's not something every
0: builder in our market does. So let me ask you this. When you say that document for the hours of communication, walk us through that. I think this is something that, you know, I've, I've, try to do in the sales process. But again, people forget people are busy there in their careers, right? So they're going to ping my people all different hours. I have a tendency to do that. I, I've been reprimanded. I need to be careful and be, you know, that work-life balance for my people. Um, wh- how are you communicating this with a client in the sales process? What's that document look like? You know, you mentioned that unless emergency, but how do you define that?
1: Uh, well, I probably need to refine the definition of an emergency because <laughs> what's an emergency to us and to, to uh, other people is, can be very very different we do put this up front in our kind of our pre-construction documentation when we first meet it is in writing and we make sure we review that page and we say look this is the hours of communication monday through friday and yo, know, you can reach out to us as early as 7 a.m and at 6 p.m you know please expect that we're not going to respond it doesn't mean we didn't get your message but we're probably not going to answer the phone we're not going to respond to the email or the text and i mean i've i've been better at When I do work on the weekends, because I have a tendency to do that a lot, um, now scheduling my emails to go out Monday morning. So I'm not setting the standard. Um, but that's the other thing. If our team or myself respond to that client, we've just changed the precedent. Now they know that on a Friday night or on a Sunday afternoon, they can get a hold of us and I'm going to respond or, you know, Dwayne on my team is going to respond or Anthony might, you know, ping back. I've, we've made it clear to our guys, like, you don't have to respond. It's absolutely not necessary. We do. And the hard part for us is we do a lot of high-end commercial tenant improvements. So we have off hours work and communication that is just required because of the nature of the job and an occupied space. And it's hard sometimes to mix those two, but we have to have that conversation. Not only is it in writing, we have the conversation in person with our client. Most of them understand that, look, we understand that your work hours and our work, like, and our work hours are about the same. But when you want to talk about your project, you're at work and we're at home. And, you know, we try to find the times that work. So a lot of times our, our weekly meetings with our clients on our residential projects, they're during a lunch hour, they're a late afternoon or they're an early morning. So it kind of works in and around their work days. Uh, we ask them to make a little bit of sacrifice on their work day so we can make sure we have time with our family. Because that that's an easy boundary to cross. And I've been guilty of it far too often. I've got a, a fantastic wife that has literally grabbed me and pulled me aside and just said, no, like we're here too. And that's been huge and game changer for how we changed our perspective. I mean, that's where that whole, like, here's the hours came
0: from. It's a lot easier said than done. It's funny you say that because I, I think there's a few times like yesterday was Sunday and so I, I had a couple of work calls and my wife's like, what's the deal? You know, and, and, you know, I have to be careful that, you know, part of us, you know, we we're, we're obsessed with, um, our, our, you know, company, with the brand, with everything. And, you know, it's it's our baby, you know, per se. And we have to be careful that, 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 that those lines aren't crossed, especially with employees and customers and that we keep some clear definition. I think that's great advice, Nathan. What's interesting is you made a comment earlier. You had talked about that in that bid estimate stage, it's really important for you to meet the client. And the reason I want to focus on that is because in the past, you know, all of us understand that there may be a signature architect we want to work with, commercial, residential. Mm -hmm. And it's not as common, but sometimes the architect is running, you know, essentially a construction manager of the project, maybe in the designer to some aspect. And, and they'll reach out to you, Nathan or myself and say, okay, Brad or Nathan, you know, Bison Group AFD, we want you guys to bid on this project. And some of us may look at this and say, we really want to work with this architect. We'll give a bid, you know, we're going to interview, but we haven't even met the client. And I've learned later in my career that it's really important to push back and say, I need to meet the client first. I need to interview them. You know, and, and this really goes back to this client may not be a partner. This project may not be right. And I won't know that until I meet that, you know, that individual themselves.
1: No, that's absolutely true. We've had, um, we've had projects that we got super excited about and started going down that road and realized <clears throat> personalities weren't, weren't a good fit. It's not that we weren't capable. It's not that they weren't, um, excited for their project, but the personalities just clash for whatever reason. And it was very apparent pretty quickly that. That's how it was going to be. And it was a, it was a tougher project than it needed to be. I mean, at the end, everybody was happy and we've had projects where we've been like, yeah, this is going to be really cool. It's going to be a feather in our cap. It's in the, it's the right area of town that we want to be seen at and signage. And it checks all the boxes and you start interacting with that person. And you're like, yeah, not worth it. And you know, you, you walk away. So we've, we've definitely learned that lesson, uh, a hard way and, now it's important for us to get the fill. And it's harder when it's the out-of-state clients where, you know, you're you're trying to do it over a phone call or a Zoom call. I think you can get a pretty good idea of who a person is via Zoom, where at least there's some video aspect. But I mean, that's a minimum, even if we can't get face-to-face up front, that there's at least a Zoom call of some sort.
0: Well, and, and part of that, as you mentioned, I mean, you said this early on that, you know, getting away from the commodity. We have to not be giving away free bids, right? We have to value our time in the project. And and there's an education to that. How have you educated your clientele, you know, to understand that, Hey, again, they may see online. I need three contractors, I need three bids. I have to go, you know, I, why do I need to involve my builder early in the process? How have you helped revolutionize maybe that aspect of the industry?
1: Um, Yeah, the best way I can say that we've been able to do that is we've had some great architects and interior designers that we've worked with that have had successful projects because the builder was on early. And so they've been a great advocate in wanting to go down that path. And that's just, you know, not they're not hearing it from me, the builder that wants them to sign a pre-construction agreement, but they're hearing it from their designer and the architect that they selected outside of that. And The big thing that we explain to them is here are the deliverables, right? We give them actual samples of what the deliverable products are. We're going to work on your project strategy. We're going to work on long lead time items and identify those early and often because in today's climate, things have gotten better, but they're not where they were, uh, with everything. We still have some window packages and manufacturers that are out 15, 16 weeks and you've been in the game long enough. Brad, you remember you could frame a house and then take your rough opening from your framing and order your windows and have them in time before you Like those days are long, long, long gone. Um, At least haven't come back to that point yet. So we're looking at products that we might need to order before our building permit has even been applied for. And if you're too far in the game, you're going to lose time and money on the back end. So that's been a big part of it. We've also talked to them about budgets. You know, we'll go through, We use a takeoff software and we quantify everything, even on an early schematic. And we have those conversations when the design meetings, and then we start putting line items like this is the allowance per square foot for tile material. This is the allowance per slab. And this is how many slabs you're roughly going to need. Now, when you're sitting down making design decisions with your architect and interior designer, you know, whether you're going over or under your budget pretty quick. Right off the bat, if you want to spend more, great. If you want to spend less, you, you know how to do that. And then we're here to help through that, through the constructability. We've got a project coming up. that's not going to break ground till June, but we have to have percolation tests for the water. We have to plan on where septic's going to go because we're just too far away. There's no sewer tie-ins. Like there are things that we have to do way, way up front before we're ever breaking ground and they're still doing the drawings. So we explain there's a lot of value there, but then we tell how long it takes to do a bid correctly. Um, you know, to establish a budget and get a solid number and really know everything in the drawings, on average, we're about 70 man hours. And when you pre-construction and attending meetings to really have it dialed in, like yeah, you can easily hit 100 man hours plus, depending on how long pre-construction is. That's a lot of time to give away for free and not have a project at the end, or for them to decide it's worth going out to bid to multiple other people. And if they do and they want to, that's great. We got compensated for our time, and they got a lot of value out of that. But I think that's also why it's very valuable to sit down and meet with your client up front and explain the process and the benefits of when you do pre-construction, you gain a lot more because the project build goes smoother. It goes faster. The You're not sitting and waiting for materials. Any changes that you wanted to make because everybody was around the table and you could better understand it when it was on paper, it's a heck of a lot cheaper and faster to change it on paper than it is in person.
0: Well, what's interesting, Nathan, just some quick math here. I mean, when you talk about the bidding process, I mean, you said easily seven hours, 70 hours, right? As you're tracking. Yeah. This at seven, 75 bucks, easy math, 52.50, right? Mm-hmm. A hundred dollars an hour. If you're paying your people, it's, you know, with burden rates, you're around seven grand. I mean, that's a, that's a legitimate cost, you know, five to seven grand. If you're doing this across the board, you know, on many projects, I mean, this can be extremely costly and I've seen kind of some small operators. Let's think about some of our trade partners, you know, same as them, you know, they, they have to take time from actually being in the field and installing to do bids they have to take time from the actual install to meet clients and go through scope and schematics what's interesting is what i really like you focus on you said you have to work with the right people you have to work with the right design team architect and builder that get it here in phoenix i've seen that a majority not all but a majority are that way the architect and designer won't even move to the next step of the contract drawings right they won't go to cds and engineering consultants tell builders on you know, hired essentially. And the reason being is they understand what we're speaking about. The builder knows the pricing. What you don't want to happen is design a project. And then the client says, okay, let's send out to three people. Surprise. You know, here's where our, our cost is. It's not anywhere close. Having okay. a builder that's going to track and manage in value engineering, right? The, the stuff could be designed that the builder may say, Hey, architect, designer, let's look at this option. This could say somebody, this will get within budget. And so it's a very, you know, it, it, it's a partnership and really that's what we need to be successful as builders.
1: Absolutely. It does need to be a partnership and you know when everybody's on the same page up front there's just a lot less that goes wrong down the road. A lot less surprises, right? We can ask a question early and up front on, you know, why Pella versus Windsor and you know, you can speak to Pella. Um, I mean, we're having that conversation on a project right now. Like those are the two brands that are on the table and there's, there's a reason why we're going to probably go with one brand over the other. And it's because the design team and their experience with one product and how it's worked long-term with all of their clients, but they can't do what they need to, as far as pricing and understanding everything about that window manufacturer without us being involved
0: so let me ask you this in your experience what have you seen as a difference that separates elite builders from others because you know as we're trying to market this and it may be good to understand why are elite builders in your market nathan including yourself or my market what is it that separates them from everybody else why are they getting those signature jobs those trophy projects in your opinion customer
1: service it's the experience that the customer gets from day one i mean that's there's a lot of talented Builders out there. There's a lot of knowledgeable builders out there. And I say that knowing some of the guys on the production side that do these semi-custom productions and they're doing 70, 80 units a year, and they're doing a great job. And they have some really smart guys and they're using some really cool product. But the experience is vastly different in the deliverable. We we also seek out and pre-qualify our subcontractors slightly differently. We're looking for a couple different things than just the average brick mason. We're looking for something different than the typical framer. Um, we, we've had multiple interviews on a project we're doing in Summit Creek. We have our go-to framer, and they looked like they were going to be too busy and not able to do the project. And as we were kind of going through and talking to others, we explained what we do with our framing process and how we check framing behind them. And we had two of them flat out say, "We're not doing your work. That's ridiculous," um, because they didn't want their walls strung by. The GC after they strung it and you know, but that's something we're going to do. We're going to pay a little bit more attention to details upfront and all the way through the process. And then that's going to be reflected in the customer experience as well, right? We're going to be giving you updates every week of what's taking place. We're using, uh, project management software suites that help us communicate with everybody. We want them to feel like they can be reached, but the, the documentation at the same time, you know, we meet with our clients every week on every project, and you know, sometimes projects you don't have to meet every week, but there is a weekly touch point, preferably in person, walking the job. It's important to us that that takes
0: place. So I was making some notes as you were walking through this about you know the lead builders, and you mentioned relationship with subcontractors. I think that's really powerful, right? That the talent, qualification, skill set of your trade partners, subcontractors, relationship with your suppliers, is definitely going to set you apart. It was interesting. And you mentioned, you know, the documentation, right? The customer experience, which is mm-hmm. huge, right? The customer mapping. And then of course the systems. I was speaking to an architect as well. One of those premier architects in town and asked him this question, you know, in his experience, cause he's been working here a long time. and worked on some amazing projects. And in addition to what you mentioned, Nathan, one thing he said, he said the superintendent and he said, you know, when I'm working with these really high-end elite builders, you know, their, super net, their superintendents, their personnel are just unmatched, right? Like you go in the field and as an architect, they're thinking framing at, at, as they're laying out, you know, survey points, you know, for undergrounds. Like they're so far ahead. They're, they're scheduling sophistication, knowledge of how to read plans. And he said that's really what gives credibility, you know, and with everything else is seeing just that ability. You know for the superintendent and so we have to look internally okay well are do i have the personnel do i have the training do i have the resources the systems in place for them you know to be successful to to get these signature projects that i'm chasing after
1: yeah no i think he's spot on uh the people on your team internally outside of just the trades make a huge difference and i mean here's an example i have our senior superintendent Dwayne. i mean he's Boy, I hope he sticks around for a lot longer, but he's 67. He's probably <laughs> getting ready to retire. And it's actually been on my mind. Like, I have to think about, you know, he's going to hang it up soon. And, yeah, you know, who's going to be filling that spot? And that really weighs heavily on me. I mean, this is a guy that's been in the game and been building quality projects since the mid 70s. And then, I mean, he's probably forgotten more than i'll ever learn on on certain aspects of construction but he's an invaluable resource and there's guys that don't like working with him on our jobs because if yeah. he's tough <laughs> he's tough he's not gonna let you get away with it and they're like well he makes us do it right and it's like well then what are you doing on somebody else's project if you're not doing it right um but you know we have a we have great people that uh really they like to learn and i mean that's part of our thing like we have a, an internal bonus structure and half of your bonus is based on education and learning. Did you learn and train this year? How did you get better? I mean, that there's a lot on that on me too, on making sure that I'm identifying areas that people need to train in. And that's a year-end question that we ask all of our team. What is one skill or piece of knowledge that you want to learn in the coming year? And then, you know, once we have that, it's like, you know, Anthony tells me what he wants to learn, what that skill and piece of knowledge is he's focused on for 2023. Now I know as not just his as boss and employer, but as, you know, friend, if you will, how to guide and steer him and like what modules, you know, whether it's on MT Copeland or LinkedIn learning, or if there's a seminar I can send him to, like there are things like that, that I can help him grow in advance in the areas that he's actually, um, interested in as well as areas that he might be lacking and needs to step
0: up and improve. So with the, um, the continuing education, which I know you're big on, I mean, that's a big part of your company and growth and for your personnel, um, where did the idea come from? And again, this is essentially not continuing, continuing education internally, but externally, you mentioned the whiteboard Wednesdays, which you do, which I think is a great tagline, you know, just where that came from, why it, it's been instituted and, you know, how that's benefited, you know, with your social media presence.
1: Yeah. Um, it came about because I was struggling to figure out what to post. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it was like, um, you've probably, I mean, I don't know if you feel like this cause you've got. Project Blow Your Mind and Iconic, 0 you've got all these phenomenal projects out there, but I feel like as I'm, we're walking projects, I'm like, gosh, nobody wants to see what we have to share because projects have these weird lulls and there's so much weird stuff going mm-hmm. on. You're like, this isn't cool and it's inter- and it's not interesting, but that's that's my perspective because I'm in and around it all day and that probably isn't true for others. But then I kind of realized, well, what would I want people to know about construction? Like, What do I think it's important for a client to understand because we sit in these owner meetings and the architects like, yeah, cool. I'll, I'll send out that ASI and the client's kind of looking at you like, what's an ASI? Like I, you know, they don't understand the acronym or, a, you know, a, a, you know, oh, that was on PR01. Oh, well, what's PRO one Like some of these things get lost on either a sub or a, a client. And we just figured, look, let's just put that out there. Let's make sure everybody knows what the terminology is, help other people learn and grow we've got a young man on our team. He's very, very green. He's very, very new. And part of it comes with the mindset of, I want people to be interested in becoming a builder and going into the trades. And one way we can do that is just to help put the vernacular out there and demystify what building actually is and the parts and pieces that make it up.
0: It, I, I like that you took that angle because I've seen huge benefits, right, to the social media. I mean, we've been kind of focused on the customer element, right, the education of separating yourself as a commodity, right? And understand the value you bring as a builder, Nathan. But but something that's often overlooked is the recruitment, right? Understanding that, hey, this is the brand, here's education. And people may want to say, hey, I want to come work for Bison Group because they're doing commercial, they're doing residential, they have this leadership, they have this organization, continuing education. All these things, these resources that you're offering, again, these are perks, right? To people that are looking for employment. And, you know, for you may help just coming into the trades, which is something we need right now yeah no
1: we're definitely you know well below what we need from a skilled trades perspective and our market and i know nationally looking across the board it doesn't seem to be any better we have more people leaving the industry than are coming into it on an annual basis because people are just aging out i mean i look at some of the guys that we work with and i've had relationships and have been on job sites with for 20 years now and i'm still like the kid i'm still the young guy and i'm i'm not that young anymore and it part, you know, and some of their kids are, are in the business and they're, they're starting to take it over, but there's a lot that I'm concerned about. Like our favorite cabinet company, our favorite millwork company, I think the youngest person in there is the finisher in their shop and they're like 49, everybody else is in their fifties and sixties and they just produce something at a, just, it just, it's a next level quality, attention to detail and craftsmanship that has been hard to find in other uh, millwork trades and there's, there's no one young coming into that company. So it will close its doors at some point in time. And, you know, that's, that's unfortunate because there's a huge wealth of knowledge. And I don't know the answer to, uh, get more people to come into the trades and understand that, Hey, this can be a great line of work. There's a lot of, uh, pride and honor in doing what we do. The way we look at it is, I mean, one of the things that drives me is, we get to build spaces for people that enjoy, like this is where they live their lives. This is where they build memories and experience birthdays and weddings. And I mean, we've done funeral homes and that's a humbling experience, building out a funeral home. And you realize that, hey, this place has to be special. It's got to be done at a certain level because when you're here, you're not here because it's a great day. But this is where people are going to build memories and experience their life. And you think about, That's, that's the spaces that we get to build and create, and that's how they get used. And I think if people can change that paradigm of what a builder is and what a tradesman is, we can get more people interested in it. Um, I have nothing wrong with tech and coding and things like that. My brother's a software engineer. We use, you know, products like Procore and builder trend and, you know, they've really aided a lot of what we do in the tech side. But there's something about the physical, tangible spaces that we
0: actually inhabit
1: and live our lives in.
0: This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good... As those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, They are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So, for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure to give them a follow to see what they're doing. So, if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. So what, what got you into it? When you mentioned, you know, the excitement that you see, especially now in your career, you know, early on, what motivated you to get in construction?
1: It's in my DNA, you know, my dad's a builder, uh, I. Grew up on job sites. There's photos of me walking around with homemade tool belts at three years old carrying stone co-nailers. Um, and I tried, I tried to get out of construction. I wanted to be an architect. (laughs) Um, I tried to go to school for architecture and it didn't work. It did just, I couldn't sit still long enough. I needed to be out there doing something. But I mean, I've always, I've always had a hammer in my hand and a tool belt on my, on my hip. Um, I studied other things in college. I've been fascinated about other subjects. And for whatever reason, every time I tried to leave this industry, it, Never let me go. It always dragged me back in. Even like, you know, night and weekends during college, I would literally drive off to go back and do, you know, a basement for the weekend to make extra cash. And that's that's just the way uh I guess I'm wired. And but it's always been fun because I saw that with my with my dad, right? He was driving around like, Oh yeah, we built this and we we did that over there. Um but then realizing, yeah, but this is like where people live their lives, this is where they experience. The good, the bad, the ugly. Um, And there's something kind of neat and poetic about we create spaces that people enjoy. It's something that they envisioned in their mind, especially like the custom luxury homes, right? This is like Project Blow Your Mind, for example, that we walked. That's somebody's ultimate vision. And you guys get to turn that vision and that idea into a three dimensional reality that's going to be experienced by many generations why wouldn't you want to be in construction
0: yeah i love that it's interesting that you say it gets to be experienced right and so you think about some of the you know the happiness and memories that are built right in in these homes and projects that we work on for you doing commercial residential have you ever seen uh, the, the focus change internally maybe where that pendulum goes right am i focused on commercial residential has that changed over the years you know primarily the you know why the continuation of focus on both
1: yeah no we have we've definitely experienced that pendulum's kind of swinging where we've been a little bit more focused on the commercial at times versus the residential and vice versa uh, and part of its diversification uh, I it was early enough into my career that i remember the dot-com bust i re i remember how tough that that market got for subcontractors going wow there's not enough money in my account like what are we gonna do no one's calling uh, and you know, watching, watching that going through the whole, you know, Oh debacle and fiasco and having people say, can I sharpen my pencil any further? Like back to the whole commodity thing, right? Sharpen your pencil. If you want this job, you're, you're a commodity to us now. So I've always kind of been a little bit more risk averse on that. And I cut my teeth early in my professional career after I started wearing my tool belt from residential into the commercial realm. I've always liked commercial. we we focus not so much on the ground up, but on the the class A higher end tenant improvements. And there's a lot that kind of bleeds between the two. And we we'll, we do. We definitely find that there's just a trend sometimes where, man, it's killer project after killer project coming after uh, one after another with the same architect and same you know team that just want you there. And so it's harder to do everything. And then we kind of find that we really love residential. We love residential because it's less transactional. To be honest with you like there's more emotion it that's a two-edged sword because it definitely is more emotional but the reward and the payoff at the end when a client walks in and their their home's all done and it's buttoned up and we've got this big bouquet of flowers uh for them there you can kind of write paid in full like this that 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 vibe and that emotion they get and we love the complexity and the creativity that comes in the residential but we we definitely find that there are benefits to being in both markets outside of a hedge from a diversification standpoint, it's difficult because they, they do operate differently from building codes to which architects specialize in, which, which subs, you know, our our vendor list is quite extensive because we have subs only do residential, only do commercial. But the big thing about the commercial side that benefited us on the residential is the paperwork. Commercial is very, very heavy on documentation and paperwork, and you've got to have it dialed in. If you're going to be good at it and you're going to be successful at it and you're going to make money at commercial, like you've just got to have that dialed in from a risk management standpoint. We'd like the philosophy to keep it simple, but that really helps our residential projects be better.
0: It, it's interesting you say the paperwork side because I have seen, right? And not just from a general contracting perspective, but also a subcontractor, you know, trade partner, Trades that are accustomed to working on commercial projects, definitely uh, much more sophisticated when it comes to paperwork, you know, billing, change orders, uh, scheduling. I mean, all these things, right? Because it's a huge part. As you mm-hmm. mentioned, it's, it's you know, the, the residential side is less transactional in the sense it's more emotional, but the commercial side is very transactional and there's a lot of legal aspects to it. And you really have to have, you know, eyes out of T's cross in that market.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's I think it's a best practice for both, whether you're residential or commercial, to make sure you've got your your paperwork and that systems and those processes down. Commercials just helped us refine those better. And then that's paid big dividends for us on the residential side because we can deliver a better project experience for our clients with better documentation, which means we're just more forward thinking and less reactionary, which is easy to happen in residential. You can easily get you know, on your heels and a little bit more reactionary on residential, if you're not on top of it.
0: So I know you're a big watch guy, like what intrigues you about watches?
1: Everything. That's a, that's a long conversation. (laughs) Uh, Um, what I love about watches and when I I'll qualify that by mechanical watches, right They're manual wound or automatic, there is an art and a craftsmanship to a well-built watch. And you know that's not your Casios, and I'm sure I'll get flack for, for saying that. But uh, <laughs> um, the thing about watches, and they've always like intrigued me from the sense of they're not a commodity. You can find the commodities that are watches, but then there's watches that people will pay ridiculous amounts of money. There there's a there's a watch that comes out from Patek every year, and its retail price is 2.2 million. It's got 20 complications. It is completely mechanical. There's no batteries. It'll go a hundred years as long as you just service it. And when you think about the homes that we do and the projects that we do, there's a level of detail in craftsmanship. There are parts of these watches called a bridge that are polished underneath That The only person will ever see it is the watchmaker, the guy that built it, but the customer will never know. And I think about that on how we build our houses, you know, the things that get buried in the walls still should be neat and tidy. You know, we, we're not a fan of debris in the walls and then closing them up. Like, no, they should be clean, neat, tidy. The wiring behind the wall should be neat and tight. It's, it's an attention to detail to every little aspect. So there's a, it's just this merge of art and craftsmanship and, you know, innovation and technology. And for whatever reason, they've just spoken to me. I love collecting them. I love reading about them and learning about them. And I see a lot of parallels between, you know, these watches and what we do as builders in, in crafting something.
0: It's interesting. Cause I, I lo- love, the watch example. And you mentioned almost like that was Steve jobs obsession, right? With, you know, Apple devices. It was it look like that no one will ever see. And essentially okay. that care of craftsmanship, right? The bones of it, the, the quality, the attention to detail. You mentioned long lasting, right? The art, you know, it, a lot of us can understand the quality in a good, right. in something that, you know, like a watch. Or a vehicle. And how do you portray that with a home, right? Because so many times you and I are sitting in these conversations where what's your price per square foot, Nathan? And how many times do you go and you're buying a vehicle and say, well, what's your cost per, you know, square foot, for lack of a better word, right? What's your co-? Yeah, You know, it's the same size car wise, it's so much more. You know, conveying that, educating the public, you know, understanding, and this goes back to, you know, your whiteboard Wednesday and all this content and information putting out there so that clients understand, the no, it is different, right? The, the qualification of my superintendents, the qualification of my trade partners, the, the product that we're delivering, it is different. You know, getting into building science, it is different. And then I can use these and market them now to find that ideal client to someone that will actually value that, that they may not live in their home for a hundred years. They're not going to have their watch for hundred years, but they can pass that on to future generations. And there's value in something that'll be sustainable and last the test of time.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with everything you just said.
0: And so from your side, Nathan, I mean, one thing that probably you struggle with as do I like, even though we have content, even though we have these projects, there's still the budget aspect. There's still a cost that goes into these jobs. And, you know, you came down to see the net zero home. And even though we're doing that and there's so much value in it and the longevity of the home and the health of the home and the energy efficiency and the sustainability, it's still hard that not every client's going to buy in or that every client can afford it. And that's the reality. And ideally in time, you know, costs come down as, you know, we, you know, it becomes more prevalent and more of a standard. Um, But it's something I struggle with. Right. I mean, do you have customers that are pushing back on budget that are pushing back on hey, Nathan, I think it's great to do this, but here's where I'm at, you know, and how do you kind of dance between those lines?
1: Absolutely. That happens on every project. I mean, we've, I can think of, one project in my entire career where they just said money's not an object we don't care what it costs go get it done and we're and that's like so so everybody no matter how big their their bank account is has a budget and has a value uh, aspect to the different parts and pieces of their home and a lot of times that conversation comes down to and this is where back to your cost per square foot it's something we thought a lot about actually building a bunch of like a whole series of whiteboard wednesdays on this very topic you have a budget and let's just say that budget is a million dollars for easy math and you're going to spend yeah 10 percent of that on architectural fees and interior design costs so now you're down to 900 and of that 900 where does it go like what are you trying to maximize for what are the goals of the project do you want a home that's going to be the as big as you can get and you don't care about the aesthetics and you don't care about the fit and finish, cool. Then let's maximize square footage. But if you care about performance or about quality, then we need to start understanding where on those line items, the priorities are first and foremost. If, if it's a performance and it's windows are going to be a very expensive thing to change five years down the road, 10 years down the road on a remodel. So that's probably a bucket you should spend more on now versus later where light fixtures are very easy to swap out a year, five years, six years down the road at a fraction of the cost than do something like windows, That windows add a lot to the aesthetic. It's often overlooked on a home, but it's huge on the performance aspect of the home. And we try to have these conversations during pre-construction with our clients and our architects, like tell us what your vision is. What are you maximizing for? If you want the most absolute dynamite, you know, banger kitchen you can possibly get, and that's your big priority. All right, cool. Then let's not spend as much money on other areas of the home and let's go all in on the cabinets and the appliances and help them understand inside of their budget, what are the values and the priorities to them because things can get changed and we know that if you're going to be in a home for 20 years, you're going to remodel it at some point in time. Everyone gets that seven year itch with their home. I have it in mind right now. So, um, what's the easy thing to change down the road? And what's the harder thing to change down the road and where those values. So that's the conversation that we have with our clients. And then we help them prioritize where that spend is. And you know, sometimes it's the value engineering. It's just not going to fit. They want the performance. We had that in a, on a park city project last summer, they wanted exterior insulation on the outside of the home. They wanted triple glazed windows that were casement and wood clad. And they wanted all this. And at the end of the day, it, it couldn't pencil and, part of our job is to be candid with our clients and have that hard conversation. And I've made this mistake in the past because it's easy to want to root for your client to win and give them everything like ah, what we'll, we'll try. I think we can get it at this price point. And the reality is, you know, you'll never get it at that price point, but boy, you're going to try. And we spend more time and effort trying to do that. And then it's heartburn and heartache all the way around versus just staying flat out. This is the price. This is the value. And if you, If that doesn't work, then let's go find a different option. And those are the candid, hard conversations sometimes you have to have with your client. But for us, it's understanding what their primary goal and vision is for that project, because the line items are not all equal in priority to our clients.
0: It's interesting. You know, unfortunately, the appetite we have, you know, from our eyes, our stomach can't handle very similar to clients budgets, right? The the, we hear often, you know, champagne, taste, beer budget, but the reality is, That everyone has maybe a comfort and it could be that they may have the money, but they're looking at this, you know, maybe they don't plan on selling the home, but they still want to be Mm -hmm. somewhat wise with their investment, right? Or, you know, where they're at. Um, and, And so this goes back to early on when you said clients need to have builders involved because again, they have buckets, as you mentioned, Nathan, where they can put dollars and they can be counseled and you can help them, you know, highly benefit the success of the project by understanding what their priority is, you know, what their goal is. And then putting this together, right. And counseling. Yeah. Them. So what, let me ask you this outside of this, like what drives you? I know you're a super passionate guy. Um, every time I've been around, you, you have this high energy, you're very, um, super intelligent, right? Anyone that's around you have very poignant questions and you know, there's a deep understanding there, but you know, where does that come from? What, what is it that drives you day to day?
1: Ah, uh, what drives me day to day is I think I'm always, I'm content, but I'm never satisfied. I've always, I heard this statement a long, long time ago. Uh, I think it was in middle school and it was meant to be like a, a riddle. You know, what's the biggest room in the world? Room for improvement. <laughs> and it's kind of always stuck with me. There's, There's always been this drive that, hey, what we did yesterday, we can do better tomorrow. And I'm always curious. I'm always, always learning. I've always got a stack of books that I'm, uh piling through a, a list of podcasts that I'll never get through all of them even at 2x speed it's just not going to happen but wanting to deliver something that hasn't been delivered before in the market wanting to provide a better experience for our clients than has been for I I I really do and hate is a strong word but I hate that whole like meme that's out there that builders are never honest They're always over budget. They're always late. Now, unfortunately, the pandemic really didn't help that in (laughs) any way, shape, or form. But I don't feel that's true of most builders. And I want to do everything I can to change that perception. I want clients to be able to pick up the phone and reach out because the brand of who you are and the company you've built stands for itself and speaks for itself. If I'm going to use a watch analogy, you know, people know Rolex because it's, The king, I mean, it's logo is a crown and that's not, you know, totally by accident. Everyone calls it the king, but it's not the king because it's the best because there are better made watches, but Rolex annually sells more luxury watches than all of their competitors combined because they've built a phenomenal brand based on quality customer experience and they've executed on that and people seek it out. I think construction can be the same way. People can seek out the AFTs and the bison groups of the world because they've got the reputation of, they do a quality project. They do a phenomenal customer experience. And at the end of the day, the brand's so good that when you list your house for sale, if you choose to sell it, it's worth putting who the builder was on the listing because that adds value. And I look forward to the day and I think it's years down the road, but that's my moonshot. I want people to be able to list the name of the builder on their MLS listing when they're describing that, like this was built by the Bison Group, because the Bison Group has a reputation of doing homes that are top notch, they're quality inside and out, even the things that you don't see, and it's going to last. And you know, I don't think that has to be exclusive to one builder or one brand, but getting real estate listings where I mean, we've seen it in the past; people have chased homes built and and purchased old homes because of the architect doesn't mean it was built well had a cool design but it may not have been built well and it may have but why not why not care about when you go to buy a house on who actually built the house
0: i love that i mean this goes back to the watch thing i mean if you think about the analogy you gave of you know a fine watch not just the craftsmanship but also the name right there is a name and reputation from the customer experience and how people feel and the quality behind it, you know, so having you on the MLS, you know, essentially is doing that, right? You're, you're building a name for the Bison Group and that's, um, you know, what's attracting people and essentially one of your goals as a builder. What, what are some of your challenges as a builder? I mean, we've talked about some here, you know, what is it that keeps you up at night right now? You know, challenges just as a builder in general, maybe in the business, you know, kind of the direction that you're heading.
1: I think the biggest challenge is, the market's always shifting and changing and, you know, interest rates have gone up and the market's kind of been a little bit flat and we've definitely seen how that's impacted some of our clients. You know, they've made different decisions because of, you know, the, the economic conditions of the last six months. We know it's not permanent. And, you know, the thing that probably keeps him at night the most is I've got a team, I've got people, they've got families and, you know, rent to pay and mortgages and things like that. We want to make sure that we're always providing top notch to our, our clients and that we have enough projects and project revenue to continue to grow our team to support this, and then to make sure that our our team can grow. Right, training is expensive. It's not cheap I and mean, it's not free, and it's uh, comes out of overhead and profit. But to get better, we have to keep doing it, and that's a big challenge. If you know what what's coming in twenty twenty three, I don't think it's all bad. You know, it's it's a little different. I think we're you know, I think most of us will be fine getting through it. It's a bit of a challenge, especially on the production start and finding solid skilled trade partners because like i said we got guys that we can see they're getting older and you know as we scale and continue to grow and take on more projects the you know the tile contractor that we really love to use yeah they only have so much bandwidth and if we have too many projects we don't set them up for success because you know, we got to spread the love a little bit to, uh, to other call tile contractors that are equally qualified. So our clients all have the same, you know, at the end quality. But if I give the same tile guy all the work and he's overloaded because he doesn't have the manpower, you know, now all the schedules suffer and now he's frustrated because he can't keep up and that's not fair to him. So, you know, part of it, so we have to help our subs grow, but we, part of that is we need to find more you know, qualified trade partners in our market that we can, you know, continue to make sure all of our clients are properly taken care of and that's really probably the biggest part is constantly hey how do we educate people like how do we educate people to not see us as a commodity um grow our team stay busy and have enough good skilled labor those would be the four big buckets that if anything keep me up at night and uh keep me thinking and trying to find solutions to um working through systems and processes That's just kind of just part of the game. They're always changing. They're always evolving. They're very fluid. Um, You know, they're written, but they they need to change as times change.
0: So what's interesting is you mentioned early on, you know, you talked about the DIY thing. And, you know, HGTV, um, I shouldn't call them out, I guess. (laughs) I should be careful here. But essentially, I mean, there are TV shows, right, in our industry. that Essentially, there's not given maybe the full context of the story of what things cost or the duration and things that go into it. What's interesting is you had the opportunity to go to construction instruction, right? Mark La Liberté School there in 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 Denver. And tell us about that experience because you go there and you mentioned, okay, it's one thing to say DIY, manage your own house, but then you realize attending there the challenges in building, the complexities we deal with, things mm-hmm. that can come back and get us in the long run. You know, how was that experience for you?
1: It was a fantastic experience. So we took our entire company out there. We felt it was very, very important after we met uh, Mark Liberte and, and heard what he had to say at uh, the Contractors Coalition Summit in Nashville uh, last May. And that was one thing we didn't hesitate to do. We're like, okay, hey guys, this is our big annual training. We're going to fly everybody out. We're all going to stay and we're going to do this. Um, and we need to go back for more because there's, there's more modules for us to go to. But at the end of the day, technology's changed. How we build changes. The building codes have changed. Uh, in our market, the residential homes are about to go from the twenty fifteen building code to the twenty twenty one building code and the twenty twenty one energy code It's going to be a kick in the in the gut to a lot of guys that aren't prepared for that and don't know what's coming uh, it's going to impact cost and everything but you know we we're uh, we're in front of that because everything that mark labert's team doing at construction instruction is above and beyond the building code and it's what we should be doing it's where we should be going but as we kind of mentioned earlier not every client's got the budget or the the value mindset that that's that's what matters to them. You know, they want the really cool, you know, Wolf forty eight inch range versus <laughs> an ERV system in their home. And there, there's you can't say that they're they're right or they're wrong on that. We know where we're at. I think the big thing was um, you look at that, and if you take anybody that was all about the DIY, let's just take the producers from HGTV. I don't think they would uh, do another show if they sat through that course and realized the risk that they take on. The amount of risk that we have in our business from a long-term perspective, um, for statutes of, of limitations for, you know, building defects and all of the different things that go in there from an air barrier to a vapor barrier to a weather barrier, um, your HVAC system, your air filtration system, not you know, your, all your structural, um, wow, like it'll make people's heads spin. In fact, Dwayne, who I mentioned is 67, right? He's the guy that you no know, air houses have to breathe. And I asked our, our, our team write up, what are the top five items you think we should implement like right now, day one, after after this? And I got a multi-page report from Dwayne, and it was basically everything. And here's why. Um, I mean, <laughs> he was true believer in convert after that. I, <laughs> and and unfortunately, we we can't do every project that way because the budgets don't allow, the the timing doesn't allow, or the architects don't don't want to buy into it. I think the great thing about commercial is. We saw it It got adopted in commercial about 10 years ago on a more building science approach. It's a lot more uh, mainstream in the commercial side. So we've been exposed to it. We see that this life cycle is coming, that it's going to be adopted. The building codes will catch up. But that's the thing I don't think everybody understands. And I haven't figured out how to educate everybody on that yet. The risk that we have as builders from building defects and how many things can go wrong and how easily they can go wrong and how easy it is to make a mistake That's just not captured or or on any Netflix show or cable TV show about doing it yourself or Instagram.
0: Well, and this goes back to ideally, I mean, one of the goals of this podcast is such anything is that help us all write how to run better businesses, whatever that is, And, and in any industry, but the reality is whether you're a designer, architect or builder, we have a ton of risk in this industry. And just building alone, you know, they talk about national averages, builders average like 3%, right? Mm -hmm. And you think about how little that is compared to the risk that we take. And ideally, this is why we should be compensated for bidding, why we should be, um, you know, educating our clientele on what it costs to build a project and to warranty it and to be here to to take care of it. And, you know, as that tail gets longer, you know how that follows us and essentially educating the client why, you know, why there is – the cost there is associated with building and and so ideally you know hopefully you know that's something that we can all continue to do which i know i've been striving to do and i know you are that's hence the reason we met at the coalition summit and yeah. you know all the correspondence you know since then outside of that nathan i know you're super um busy building bison group and what you've done commercial residential is pretty outstanding especially at such a young age so what do you do for fun
1: i, I like to spend time with my family and you know we we go on some trips and yeah, the other the Big thing outside of you know that, I I'm, I love a good round of golf. It's a little cold up here. It was fifteen <laughs> degrees this morning, so definitely shock to the system after being in, in Arizona for a couple days. Uh jujitsu is a big part of my life. Um I like getting on the mats. I like trading. Um for whatever reason, getting smashed and, and kind of getting beat up on uh, multiple days per week is
0: I don't know. It, it helps it helps me work seems not so tough afterwards. That's amazing. So jiu-jitsu, I mean, when, were you always involved in that or is this something recent?
1: Uh, jiu-jitsu has been something in my life for the last couple of years. I, you know, growing up, I was in some combat sports. I did those for you know seven, eight years. Um, I've done the Kenpo thing. I, I boxed. So it's not that it hasn't been there, but uh, this was a different realm. Um, my daughter's the one that actually said, hey, let's go do this. It had been on my mind. It had been something I wanted to do, but it was that it's one more thing that takes time away from the family and my, you know, the bison group already does that plenty. and (laughs) Yeah. So when she said, let's go do it, it was like, all right, let's go do this together. And you know, she's, she's getting ready to move on from jujitsu. She's got other intrigues as a, as a 10 year old would, but yeah, the bug bug bit. And yeah, you'll find me at open mats on Sunday mornings. And you know, there are a few times during the week, just getting after it.
0: Well, now I know we shouldn't be picking on you, right? <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the skills that you have. So uh, outside of that, what do you have that's upcoming and exciting, Nathan?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, for us, we've got our Wolf Creek Ranch project that breaks ground in June. We're working on pre-construction right now. It is an awesome interior design team, an awesome architect. We're super excited for it. Our client is phenomenal. It's a it's a repeat client. This will be our third project for this client. And the Wolf Creek Ranch is a an area outside of Park City that we've been wanting to put uh put a project up in planter flag for quite some time uh it's it's a really really unique spot and opportunity for us. so we're super excited and this is one of those homes that's going to be a 100 year home you know it's going to be there for a long time they they definitely know where they value different aspects of the building science as well as the aesthetic so um yeah. Like, I mean, this has been a long time coming. We snowshoed to the property to pick lot, you know, site location of the home last January. So a year ago. And, you know, so pre-construction does not always happen as fast yeah. as, uh, as everybody thinks it does to get something out of the ground. But, you know, it's a, it's a really, really cool. Um, it's got a lot of challenges on how to build at 8,000 feet and, you know, kind of far away from anything close. So we really have to have our ducks in a row. And we really enjoyed the challenge of working through that process.
0: Well, when you said snowshoes, I think I'm out. So I'll definitely defer to you on that one, but I'm excited to follow along, Nathan. So where can our listeners find you?
1: Uh, On Instagram, that's probably our primary platform. It's at Bison Group UT and LinkedIn. We're trying to do a little bit better there. And that's just Nathan Marsala.
0: Well, that's amazing, Nathan. Well, I can't thank you enough for making time today. Appreciate the friendship and uh, looking forward to connecting again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Brad, for having us on. If you get value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favorite to ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support, and we'll see you next time.